My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. Since we had Hanker Infernal on last week, I thought this episode might be a good time to talk about ICRPG, a little bit about how it plays, and then mechanics that you can steal from ICRPG. Let's start off with how you actually play ICRPG so you guys can get a feel for the system. If you're familiar with a game like Dungeons & Dragons, especially 5th edition, this should be pretty familiar to you. There are six core stats, strength, constitution, dexterity, wisdom, intelligence, and charisma, all the same things that you would have in Dungeons & Dragons. And your rolling is similar as well for checks. You're rolling a d20, you are adding a modifier to your roll, and you're seeing if you beat a target number. One of the simplifications in the target number is that the Game Master sets a difficulty for the encounter. So the Game Master might choose a number like 12. And any roll, whether it's attacking enemies or it's trying to jump over something or a strength check or whatever, anything that you ha- any check that you have to make has to be against that target number. So it simplifies things a little bit. Um, similar to the Powered by the Apocalypse games where you have a, you already know what the target is. It's just kind of baked in. Uh, in this situation, the GM does get to choose what it is. And he talks a little bit about how you should kind of increase this as things get more difficult. There's also a little mechanic called Easy and Hard, which basically is a minus three to the difficulty for easy or a plus three to the difficulty for hard. You could simply replace this with the advantage mechanic from D&D and you would be set. Uh, But really, for any given encounter, you're always rolling against the same target number. But in comparison to something like Dungeons & Dragons, uh, this is pretty familiar. It's a d20 check, you're adding a modifier, and you're good to go. We can also talk a little bit about movement in the game, um, very similar to a D&D game, you have kind of uh, these small range bands. So you've got close, near, far. And basically what I like to think of it is near is kind of like your your 30 feet, right? So that's um, kind of a standard movement amount in D&D. Far would be twice that, so two times near. So about 60 feet or so. Uh, the game doesn't specifically measure things out in feet. It's just kind of an abstract how much you think or how much space you think there should be. Um, I believe in the book he also mentions about uh, near distance is about the length of a banana on like a standard battle map, right? Or about like the length of your hand if you stretch your fingers out. So you can kind of quickly gauge distances. It's not super exact, but there is a little bit of kind of a range band or range of measurements. And then close is just like if you're standing next to somebody and you can hit them with the sword, you're like five-ish feet away. So that's all pretty standard. It's not down to the foot, but it's just kind of distances that make sense. Now we're going to get into the first mechanic that I think is really stealable. And it's something that I'm kind of surprised doesn't show up in games like D&D. 
And that is the kind of effort system and the attempts. Now, in a game of D&D, you, you have both of these roles, though they're not quite named like this. Uh, you have a standard check. So that's kind of like you want to run and jump across a gap, right? You probably have to make a dexterity check. And if you pass, you made the jump. If you fail, then you didn't make the jump or something else happened right? That's kind of your standard check. Uh, commonly, this is used for charisma checks too, like I want to convince somebody to do something. It's just a check, it's just a pass-fail, and that's it. There's nothing else involved with that. Now, you also have the second type of check, which in ICRPG is called an attempt, where you roll your dice to see if you do a thing, but then you also have to roll more dice to see how, how well you do the thing. And in D&D, that would be a combat roll, right? If you're attacking something with a sword, you roll your d20, you add your modifiers. If you hit, then you also roll your damage dice. Now, this is the part that I think can be kind of stolen from, is that Hankerin expands on this with effort. So if you think about the monster as having an amount of health and then that damage roll is your effort roll it's how much effort you uh, you succeeded at the thing now you're trying to see how much effort you can get into that task essentially so in the case of an attack roll that effort is represented by damage to the monster once you've done enough effort to the monster enough damage to the monster you have you know killed the monster or knocked it out but the thing that's neat here is that he expands this into just attempts. And then this can be used for more things than just combat. And this is something that I think you could steal into a D&D game. Again, I'm surprised it's not in there. So one example would be having a lock. Maybe it's a really difficult lock. And so you set the lock as having, you know, 10 HP, 10 effort. That's kind of the amount it takes to break through the lock. Now, when your rogue is trying to pick the lock, they've got to do their dexterity check and use their tools. If they succeed, now they get to roll effort. Now they're working towards getting that lock open. They might not get it on the first try. They could roll a critical and get to roll extra and put extra effort into completing this thing and complete it really quickly. But there are so many things that you can use with effort and attempts. Um, for example, uh, so we had the lock pick, we have damage, that's the common one. You could also use this for like social uh, combat or social interactions, right? Like if you're trying to convince the king to give you uh, like a platoon of soldiers to help you with something, it's probably not just that pass, fail, yes, no, like we often see in D&D. This could be, you know, that could be a very difficult thing to convince him. And you might have to try to convince him by making multiple charisma checks over the course of like multiple days while you're staying, you know, in the vicinity. And you're slowly working on trying to like, come on, this is, you know, this is what we need. You get more evidence, you know, you get to roll with advantage and stuff. Um, and, and there's these things that you can start kind of building these different encounters on by including effort instead of just having a single pass-fail check where the king just says, oh yeah, sure, I'll just give you my army or um, just kind of spits in your face and it's like, no, you know, th there's a little bit more of a range that you can go here. And this actually kind of reminds me of the clocks in Blades in the Dark where 
it's kind of the same idea is that you're as you're making progress on something you're kind of marking that progress down towards completing that goal and in some situations you may be able to reverse that progress so in the case of the king trying to convince the king if you fail a check like you botch it really bad the dm might make you roll your effort and then subtract that amount from the effort because you you really ticked him off and now he really doesn't want to help you anymore. Or kind of the same thing with like monsters, right? Monsters can heal damage done to them if they have certain abilities or items. So in that same regard, a attempt, something that needs effort to be completed, can also be set back by kind of healing it or um, something that would just pull back that effort. Now here's where things start to uh, kind of shift a little bit from how they would be in, say, a D&D game, in that you're, you have a couple different types of effort that you can do, that your character can do. And this basically determines what dice you roll when you're determining how much effort you do towards a given attempt. So the basic one is um, basic work. It's a, D, a D4. It's when you're just using like your bare hands, your wits. You you don't really have much going on to be unarmed fighters, or um, you don't have a, uh, the tool for the job. Essentially, it's a D4. So even if you succeed, you're not making a lot of progress. And I will mention um, these are stats. These are modifiable. Uh, so you can put points into your basic work or your weapon damage um, to bump those up so that maybe if I bumped a, put a bunch of my stat points into basic work, I might be only rolling a D4, but I might add four points on as well. So that's actually ends up being pretty, pretty good. Um, the second one is a D6. That's weapon damage. And I kind of like to lump tools in here as well. So in the book, it mentions swords, spears, bows, axes, whatever, um, any, th any type of weapon. And like I said, I also like to add in tools. So like lockpick tools, or like if you've got like some type of crafting gear or any, any specialty tool that's meant for a job, lockpicks, that sort of a thing. That's when I would say, okay, now you can roll your weapon or tool damage or tool, you know, effort for that. Um, and then your next one is a d8 and that is magical effect so any type of magic does a d8 um and so this is just kind of saying like magic is strong it's crazy it's really good now there's a little bit of a, a note that got added in here between like okay what if i have a magical weapon do i roll the magic dice or do i roll the weapon dice and basically what it says in the book is whichever bonus you have is better, that's better, you use that one. So like if you have your weapon damage and you have like plus three in it, but you don't have anything in your magical effect um, bonuses, then if you're using a magical sword, you would use uh, the D6 instead of the D8. Um, vice versa, You, uh, if you had more in the magical effect side, then you could use the magic one. It, it really comes down to personal choice, really, and it kind of depends on how you build your, your characters, because if you're like uh, some type of a fighter, you're probably putting more of your points into weapon damage, because that's going to be important earlier on in the game. But then if you grab a magical sword, you don't want to be like, oh, well, now... Uh, I, I can't use this, or it's it's, it's kind of had this weird thing. Um, and actually, if I'm reading this right, I think you get to use whichever modifier is 
better. So if you get a magical sword, it up your dice upgrades to a d8 automatically, and then if you had a bunch of uh, bonuses to your weapon damage, you get to use that along with your d8. Yes, I, I misread that. Um, so you don't like lose your progress if you find a magical uh, sword, because that would just be weird. And then the last uh, uh, option that you can roll for effort is the d12, and that is ultimate. And basically what that means, that's like your critical hit. So if you roll a 20 on an attempt, you get to also add a d12 to whatever your other effort one was if you were doing basic work, weapon damage, or magical effects. Um, so it really bumps up the amount of effort you do. It's You don't roll double of... Uh, you know, like in D&D, you would typically, you'd just like roll everything twice. In this case, you just could add a D12, which is better than everything else that you have anyways. As a side note, you can also put stat points into ultimate effort, which makes your critical hits hit a lot harder. So if you've got like a rogue or somebody who just, who is trying to get uh, criticals a lot and you want to do um, more critical damage essentially uh, you can put points into ultimate I personally I would probably put it put it into something that's a little bit more consistent but you can do it if you want to so that is attempts and effort and it's a system that to me it makes a lot of sense and like I said it's weird that it's not in D&D because the core combat checks in D&D are just, they're just attempts. This is just like the extrapolation of that into non-combat roles, right? It's just giving a task a certain amount of health and then having to roll some kind of a dice to uh, figure out how well or how much progress you make. Now, the the kind of tricky part for porting this over to a game like D&D is that now you have to assign uh, dice like damage dice effort dice to different tools how much do tools do how much do um does basic work is it still a d4 is it if you're using a weapon is it a d6 or a tool or whatever you know you can kind of make some generalizations um to port this over is probably what i would do is just say tools are you know your weapons are the same as whatever weapon damage they are normally and then your tools are d6s and you know leave basic you probably can port it over pretty much as is it's just that like the tools and stuff don't have specific dice associated associated with them as is now that we've talked about the effort pieces and we mentioned that you can actually allocate stat points at character creation into um, bonuses for your effort you maybe realize hey wait a minute i play DD and all the weapons do have a different damage dice and it sounds like if in icrpg i just roll a d6 for everything that seems kind of weird right well icrpg kind of takes the same uh route that dungeon world does it where dungeon world and I don't know that these are necessarily inspired from each other. I read ICRPG first and then found Dungeon World afterwards, but similarities here. ICRPG takes the weapons and puts all the damage together as D6s, right? And same thing with Dungeon World. Dungeon World just takes it and bases it on your class. If you're a fighter, you do more damage, you roll a bigger dice. If you're a wizard, you suck at combat and you roll a D4. That's just the way life is. Get over it. The thing that makes weapons and equipment unique is that they have different tags on them that have, you know, different properties. Like a dagger, it's concealable, it's fast, it's piercing, and it can be thrown, right? That's very different 
than something like a halberd, which is, you know, a polearm. It has a longer reach. It's big, uh, you know, or even like a spear. They're simple. They're long. They're durable. They can be thrown. And the differences that you get come from the tag and what you can do with them come from the tag. The damage, the specific dice used for the damage is not that important. And honestly, looking at all of the different damage dices or the damage dice in D&D, they may all be different, but they're all super close, right? Like the difference between a D4 and a D6 on average is, is one. So you know, going up with like different dice sizes and whatever, it it changes your amounts a little bit, but not in any significant amount. And in most cases, even in D&D, the damage dice isn't the primary source of the damage, actually. There's just a bit of randomness. The, the main consistent source of damage is from the modifiers and the bonuses that you add onto it, right? Like a rogue with a dagger is rolling a d4, but they're also adding their dexterity to the damage. So they're already doing, you know, four or five damage just from their modifier, and then the randomness is a d4. But compare that to like a sword a d6 or a d8 that's only like on average two more damage so it really it's really not the dice doesn't really matter that much it'll make it a little bit more swingy but not you know overall i it's a simplification that i like and i think makes sense especially in this system and the way dungeon world also kind of had their own you know they just assign you a dice and just everything just does that because it makes sense and then you get your different nuances from the tags so that's something that I think I like to see in a game. I like to just like just give me a weapon and then it's easy to make, you know, custom weapons or modify weapons as well because now you just have a list of tags and maybe you're uh you have a fighter and they have this like really heavy like battle axe but they want to upgrade it so that it's not quite so heavy and you let them, you know, do some crafting checks, do whatever and then now you can give it the light tag or you maybe you remove the heavy tag instead of giving it the light tag or something like that you know you can change things very fairly simply and you can basically also come up with your own weapons really easily as well right you don't have to balance a whole bunch of stuff just like pick like a what type of weapon is it and then give it a couple like three to four tags that describe the weapon and and just go from there so that's one of the things that i like about um, the equipment and the weapons the other thing that I like as far as uh, simplification goes is kind of how he handles skills in this game because there is only, for making a check, there's only the six main stats. You don't have like animal handling and perception and all of these other like little skills that are kind of sub um, skills underneath the main stats. You just roll the stats, but as you get more gear and stuff like that, you um, you get bonuses to specific rolls that kind of are like ad hoc skills. So, for example, the spyglass is plus three whiz, uh, wisdom when scouting. So you, there doesn't need to be like a, it's kind of like a perception check. It's actually a little bit more specific than a perception check. But like if you're looking around specifically, you are scouting right scouting is now like a skill because you get a bonus to it uh when you're trying to do that thing um so you get you know you'd have your regular 
wisdom modifier and now you get a plus three when you're scouting right so it makes you better at that specific skill and it makes it again so you can kind of add in skills or specific things as needed because you can just give them a bonus to one of whatever the main stat would have been right like climbing let's say that's strength based if you have climbing gear you get a plus two when you're climbing oh yeah it's the first one on the list i wasn't even reading it rope and hook plus three decks while climbing right it, it's it's kind of an ad hoc skill now there's climbing as a skill climbing isn't a skill in D&D, right but now you have it here and and the character sheet doesn't have to get bogged down with all of these like random skills that like i don't think i've ever used animal handling probably maybe once you know and there's these skills and it's kind of a debate on like okay which skills do you need and on your character sheet and then like what happens if there's a situation where none of the skills on the sheet really correlate to uh, an, the thing that you're trying to do, right? Then, well, then do you kind of go back and, okay, now it's just a strength check. Because it's kind of that everything stems from the six stats, whether you're in D&D or ICRPG or whatever, right? But then you get additional bonuses that kind of extend out as you get more specific into what you're doing, right? So strength has a couple of things that you can be trained in, and dex has a couple of things that you can be trained in, whatever. And this just takes a lot of that out. You don't need it to clutter up your sheet. If you're good at animal handling, you just have a thing that says, hey, I get a bonus to whenever I try to do animal handling, whatever. It's something that I like Again, it just simplifies things from a design standpoint and from like a character sheet standpoint. You only have to be concerned with your main stats and then any specific bonuses you have. And if you don't have bonuses to those things, it doesn't matter. It's not taking up space on your sheet. Again, you're just you're just good to go. It's just more simple. I'm going to take this time to transition into talking about the monster stat blocks because the monster stat blocks have a similar... Uh, set up to that like skill roles they kind of had they kind of have ad hoc skills or role bonuses when you're looking at a monster stat block in icrpg you've got a couple of things you've got the name of the creature or monster you have the health represented by hearts and you have the role bonuses and the actions that it has and these are pretty uh, they're pretty simple. So I'm looking at the skeleton. So skeleton, it's one heart. One heart represents 10 effort or 10 health. And that's how uh, pretty much everything is described. Like if uh, we were talking about effort before, if you assigned a lock one heart, it would be 10 HP. Basically, you don't have to think about things as being super complicated for the number of health they have. Just give it a number multiplied by 10. So that's simple. Skeleton, one heart, it's got 10 health. It has a rolls section. It has plus two to all rolls. So all your stats, they get plus two. All of your effort rolls also have plus two. So that's important for determining damage. And then it's got some actions. It's got um, a weapon attack, so it can roll weapon effort. Um, on a critical fail, the weapon breaks and it must re resort to basic attacks, right? Um, it's also got a death touch attack, making a normal strength attack. Um, the skeleton grabs bare skin, burning it with cold blue fire. This causes magic damage. So there's a couple of different things here. And then there's uh, like spear fighter. These are kind of like passive abilities, I guess. 
Um, most skeleton warriors employ a long spear and fight at near range so they can hit targets a little bit farther away. Um, they're really slow, uh, slow as death. A skeleton can never move far in an action, clumsily plods along. And then there's a handful of other things as well, right? So they're just describing the creature and different kind of things that it can do. I'm going to take a look at a different monster now just to kind of compare some of the different things that the stats can have. So I'm now looking at the ogre. It's got four hearts, so 40 HP. The rolls are a little bit different here. So it's got plus eight strength, minus three intelligence, minus three charisma, plus three to all other rolls. And in some of the other examples, when you kind of page through the monsters in the book, they'll have things like plus certain amount to effort rolls, or just to stats, which is all stats, or, you know, plus to all rolls, or plus to, or minuses to whatever. And it's really fast to write that down, right? It's kind of that same situation as the skills where it's only the things that are relevant are on the stat sheet. I don't have every single thing listed. I don't have all of the effort listed. I don't have all of the uh, stats listed. I only have the ones that are different, right? Ogre, plus eight strength. All right, roll it. Plus three to everything else. Okay, what am I rolling? Is it on my first three list? Is it strength inter charisma? No? Okay, it's plus three, right? I don't have to think super hard when I'm looking at it. It's really easy to write down. Um, you could simplify pretty much every single D&D monster to have the same format, right? You just look at the ones that are all the same and lump them together into one. Or basically, you look at all the ones that are different and you pull those out. And it's just a little bit simpler. One other thing that this has that uh, the skeleton didn't have it, but this actually shows up on a number of monsters, is a number of actions. So actions takes two actions per turn. There are some that take three actions. There are some that take more. This is dependent on the monster, like legendary or bigger monsters get just additional actions that they can take. And that is uh, the monsters. It's super simple. It's so easy to just come in and just throw something together. Again, the simplicity of this can be stolen for D&D if you just condense rolls. Even if you're looking at a stat block in D&D and, and there's a lot of things that are different, you can simplify those down a little bit, right? If, if like half of the stats are like plus one or plus two, just lump them all. Just give them all plus one or plus two. Just pick one of the numbers and just lump them all in, right? Like it's, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a change. Homebrew it, whatever. You're going to be fine. The numbers aren't going to come out, especially if you're just tweaking them a little bit. They're not going to matter that much. In the book, he also has uh, some charts for making monsters and just kind of ideas of um, different abilities that you can give them, like trap them. Monster can grapple, immobilize, incapacitate, um, usually countering uh, usually countered with opposing strength rolls, right? Like, and then there's a whole bunch of these. Or destroy gear. Uh, wait, what? Yep, monster can destroy equipment. So, you know, you can give them these different things and you can either like roll on this as a table to create your monsters. Um, but just a really good resource and really honestly going through any of the monsters and just grabbing like abilities that sound cool and putting them into your own monster super easy to do one of the one of my favorite things about icrpg is that it's so hackable 
you can really come up with pretty much whatever you want or whatever you need. If you didn't have a monster for a situation or you encounter a random monster and you didn't have a stat block prepared, you could throw something together in like five minutes that would be, you know, decent. You might not get all of the kind of flavorful, you know, pieces in five minutes, but you could write down a handful of abilities. You could have the like core stats and stuff figured out. It's really not that complicated. I'm going to circle back a little bit to the player characters and talk about the main stats that they have here. Um, now that we've talked about effort uh, and everything and kind of how you actually create characters. So super simple. Uh, we have the six stats that we mentioned, and then we've got the four types of effort. And then you also have an armor class. They just call it armor in ICRPG, but it's effectively your armor class. When you roll up a character in ICRPG, all you have to do is take into account those, you know, handful of stats that you have, and you get to assign six points to any of those stats. So you could, if you wanted to make your armor class be 16, you could put all of your points into your armor and have no bonuses anywhere else. Maybe super just like a beefy dude. Uh, or you can split, spread them across your, you know, your stats to make your rolls better. You can, or you can spread them across your effort to make your um, attempts hit harder. And that's really it. You, in any combination, you can split those six up. Uh, you can put them all in one. You can split them up in any combination. It's so fast. So it's so simple. You don't have to do like a ton of math and roll a bunch of dice and then like calculate modifiers and you know it's just just put the points where you want them uh and it's super it's super simple um and you also start with one heart so like we talked about one heart is 10 hit points um you can get more hearts as you uh, kind of quote unquote level up uh through different items although that is typically a rare reward that is not something that you're going to be getting every time you level up you're not increasing your health um, very frequently at all. Um, another thing about the character classes, I guess, or just kind of like the advanced. I know when I talked to him, um, he wasn't sure if he really liked the uh, way that he has classes set up, but I actually kind of like the way that it's set up in that basically everything in the game, every upgrade in the game, is a piece of gear, it's a piece of loot, it's some kind of an item. It's something that you physically have. And the, the thing that I think is interesting about this is that because it's all equipment-based, um, you get a couple of, of extra things out of it, right? You can now potentially lose or have your gear damaged, um, which could be a problem. Um, you also can mix and match things. So you can kind of fill multiple roles or fill very specific roles depending on what gear you find or what gear you, you know, go out and make, right? Like you might be a rogue, but you could maybe find some cool magic gear and you transition into kind of a, a like an arcane rogue or something, or maybe you dabble with a lot of poisons and stuff. You, you get a lot of the um, like the subclasses and stuff from D&D, it, it's just a matter of which, what gear you're after, what gear you find. Well, when you level up in this um, game, you typically, so you there is classes in the game, and 
each class essentially has a list of like six to seven items or pieces of gear that kind of make sense for that class, right? So like the shadow class is like the rogue. They've got thief boots. So when you're rolling stealth, um, you only uh, you only fail when you roll a one. Or the thieves gimbal when rolling a natural twenty attack you can also roll for loot um and you can basically steal something you get you know there's different things like that that are related specifically to how that class would play but they're not you know it's not saying that these these things couldn't go to somebody else and effectively uh, they're milestone rewards it's milestone leveling when you hit that milestone that level up you basically get to pick one of the items on your kind of milestone reward list as a class and then you just like get that item or you maybe have to come up with some story reason as to why uh, you got it Um, but then again it's milestone leveling so something big happened so it should be fairly easy to explain why you all of a sudden have this thing you made it you found it you stole it whatever and so the the rewards are all equipment they're all gear Um, even going so far as to say that spells um are just items like spells are pages in a spell book or runes or you know something like that i think he does talk a little bit about there are certain powers i think it's like the wisdom powers um you actually like can like integrate with or like you that's not maybe the right word but like you, you kind of like absorb them uh, where they just become part of you where you don't you can't like lose them um but it's also how do you gain new spells oh it's just a level up thing that you can get right um and if i were doing this uh, the other thing you get out of it is that you can upgrade things as well right like if everything is gear then you can mess with gear you can tinker with gear you can upgrade gear right so if the um if you as the shadow again weird masks is one of them so plus three charisma when deceiving a stranger uh maybe when you level up you really like those masks and they come in handy a lot so you just add instead of getting a new item, you just add some additional tag or some additional ability on it. Maybe it's plus four when deceiving strangers, or maybe uh, you add a little bit of text that says um, they don't remember the encounter um, after, you know, on a successful check, the play, uh, the people you deceived don't even remember that it happened, right? Like you could just add little bits like that. Um, another cool thing about having it be equipment, because when it's like D&D and you have these abilities, they're usually pretty rigid, which is is fine. Um, but it just gives you, this gives you flexibility in how you level up. Um, I always think back to Terraria, a video game, and all of the progression in Terraria is loot-based as well. Um, nothing is permanent. And if you, it's kind of silly, but if you wanted to like completely redo your class, like you didn't like what you were, like where you went or what you were doing, I mean, besides your stats, your stats are permanent, but everything else you can just be like, I don't really like being a thief anymore. So then you just start, you swap your gear out for uh, fighter gear, right? And maybe slowly you, you switch over to that that kind of thing it doesn't you know the path that you're on doesn't have to be the path you're on forever it can change you can upgrade it uh you can do different things um again spells kind of the same thing getting a new spell it's just getting a new uh it's you know you're unlocking this massive amount of power by learning a new spell it's no different than getting uh, a magical sword or something like that 
Uh, one piece I forgot to mention is that when you do character creation, you do get to pick a bioform. Uh, this is your, like, kind of the replacement name for, like, your race. Um, and I think he uses this because uh, bioform makes sense also in uh, Warp Shell, which is the kind of sci-fi var uh, variant of ICRPG. Um, and effectively, the bioforms, the races, whatever, um, they just give you basically plus one to two different things um, and maybe a short little, you know, description about kind of where they come from or, or what they're known for. Um, but then I think in the warp shell bioforms, you, you have some um, different things like the reptoid, which is just a, a rep, reptilian lizard folk type person. Uh, they get plus one dex, they have heat vision, and any surface is considered walk walkable for them so they can climb up walls and stuff right so these are really just innate abilities that kind of uh, a bonus a couple of bonuses or a bonus and an innate ability that they can have again super easy to modify these to come up with new ones i mean if you wanted to have a ericocra or something you could put plus one to dex and can fly because you have wings right like it's super easy to just write new ones. Um, actually, there is in the uh, warp shell, there's a bioform that is essentially a human, and they just get plus two to any stats. Any stat you want, uh, plus one to any two stats. So uh, much like D&D, it's just the generic. You can just put two stats anywhere, and you're good to go. That's, that's really all the bioforms are. And I'm essentially just kind of reading through the PDF or skimming it, as I'm talking about this, I just got to the section on spells, and we were talking about how spells can kind of be gear. Uh, one thing that also happens when you're casting a spell is you have to roll for it. Um, just like weapon attacks, just like attempts, it's all this. It's all the same. I, I don't understand it in D and D why, like for a lot of for certain spells, you don't actually have to roll. For them, like they can just happen, which seems counter counterintuitive when um, magic, the thing that goes against physics and alters reality, is more consistent than trying to stab something with a sword in terms of like the difficulty of things. So just like any other check, any other attack, attempt, check, whatever, you have to roll your dice, you have to make your check, and you have to beat the target number. He also has spells split out into kind of two different sections. You have wisdom powers, uh, which is more like druid, cleric, monk, paladin type spells like turn on dead, um, iron palm, elemental air, different things like that. And then there, uh, those are all based on the wisdom uh, stat. And then you have int spells, intelligence, you know, arcane arts. So magic missile, fireball. Uh, uh, doorway creates a magical door. I think that's the dimension door equivalent, um, you know, stuff like that. And and those are all on the intelligence side of things. And they're basically just split out into those two. And anybody can get these, right? Like a monk would get the iron palm. You get an extra, uh, or no, your next 1d4 unarmed attacks have plus three to the attempt and do ultimate effort. That's awesome get some some nice strong hits in 
And this is pretty much the entire rule set of ICRPG. And, you know, just a short time I've been able to describe pretty much how to run the entire game. It's super simple. It makes sense for people who maybe get into the hobby from D&D. It's easy to hack. Um, a lot of the things just make sense. They feel like kind of natural conclusions of the system. Like the attempts are just an extension of combat roles. And a lot of the things are simplified. To me, ICRPG is like the streamlined D&D, right? We talked about how it uh, kind of gets rid of all of the skills and just makes them um, kind of one-offs depending on your gear. All of your level up stuff is loot based uh, and it's easy to make loot. It's easy to um, come up with stuff. Uh, one of the ways that they speed things up is by using that um, room or encounter target number. So you, you always know what you're rolling against um, in a given room. And as you like progress deeper into the dungeon or your characters are getting more tired, that dice is going gonna, is gonna to ratchet up. Um, now there's one note. I don't know exactly where it is in here, but I remember reading it and like, okay, I'm going to set the room difficulty to 12. Now that doesn't, that's not a very high number, but the dice will do the dirty work. They will make your characters fail way more often than they should, even on these lower numbers. So don't be deceived by setting low difficulty uh, classes for your target number for your encounters, uh, 12 characters are going to fail doing basic stuff. Um, but as you get into like the boss fights and all this stuff, things are going to ratchet up. Things are going to get harder. And I don't think I mentioned it, but this makes sense in even in D&D, &D, right? You're getting more tired. You're, uh, more things are happening too, right? Like if, the, if you're fighting some type of like lava elemental or something and like the room is on fire and there's stuff falling from the ceiling, and there's lava geysers and stuff, like, just trying to survive in that room is much more difficult than standing in the open on a road in, in like, a grassland, right? Like, doing anything, trying to attack something, trying to climb something, is going to be infinite, not infinitely, but more difficult to accomplish in one of the settings than it is in the other setting. So, having everything be based on that target number just makes a lot of sense. The only time uh, the only time that something is not rolling against the target number is when monsters are attacking the players. Then they roll the monsters have to roll against the players um, armor class. but that is the only time. Monsters, players trying to hit monsters, you have to beat the the room target, the encounter target. Um, and and it, it just it makes a lot of sense. It's fast. It, it is easy for you. You can make things easier or hard, giving them a plus three or minus three, or do what I would do and just throw advantage in because who doesn't love rolling extra dice? Um, we talked about attempts. We talked about the weapon tags. Weapons do the same amount of damage because the dice doesn't really matter that much. Uh, they're just differentiated based on tags they have. It also means that you can upgrade them and change them easily. Uh, we talked about the skills and the monsters so you can you don't have to have all the skills on the character sheet to make them relevant give them bonuses to random specific things and just have it be that way the players only have to care about what's actually on their sheet and nothing more and health is low uh everything is gear based 
uh, it's just a good system. It's streamlined to D&D. To me, you can run pretty much anything in this system really easily and without a ton of prep and or you could port pretty much any system or uh, more so genre over to this very quickly without needing to uh, find a new rule system or whatever. If there's a movie that you love and there's not a, a role-playing game for it, which it, you know at this rate with how quickly uh, major IP is having tabletop games developed for them, maybe there is a game for you. But if you just want something that's like D&D but set in XYZ Universe, then ICRPG and you can hack this thing together super quick. And you can hack together just the stuff you need to run the next session. You don't even have to build the whole thing out, right? You're not coming up with dice mechanics or whatever. We're just It's just your nuts and bolts hackable system. So ICRPG was one of the first games that I found after being introduced to D&D. And I really like it, especially as a game master. Um, obviously, I'm kind of raving about it. But definitely check it out. I didn't really go over any of the uh, Game Master sections. Um, he has a lot of great sections about uh, creating adventures, creating encounters, and how to do that. He's got random tables. He's actually, the book has a ton of just kind of pre-written like snippet adventures too that just have like a bunch of adventure hooks and like a handful of npcs and a handful of locations and different things that people might want to do um he's got adventure generators he talks about uh room design uh that's also a good one i'm not going to go into it it's hard because he has pictures but he describes different scenarios like having to double back for things or having um uh, encounter archetypes, he calls them. So like the siege or the tightrope or the duel. These are all kind of like taking common encounter things, ambush, and and distilling it into what is the core component of that encounter type. And then how can you add different enemies to change it? How can you change the terrain around it to do different things? Very good section. There's a lot of different encounter types and they all have um, drawings with them so that you can see kind of like how a map would be set up to facilitate that type of encounter. Um, he also talks about um, something that we talked about in the uh, in interview last week was the um the three t's the threat the treat and the timer and so something bad something good and then just you know rolling a d4 or d6 and saying you know in uh 1d4 rounds the bridge collapses so figure your life out because you only got so many uh rounds to deal with thing and he also goes into a lot of um, things that should be happening with the environment. You shouldn't have these static rooms that don't change. You should be having, you know, things break or be destroyed or, or maybe be constructed or rituals being completed or whatever that, you know, wind blowing uh, that makes people have to make a dex check every couple of rounds, you know, to not fall off the bridge. And there are just so many good pieces of advice in this book for just even creating encounters, creating uh, session, um, location, goal, obstacle. He's got charts. So here's 
uh, where the thing is, here's what the goal is, and here's what's, you know, standing in your way, and talking about the narrative techniques, the mechanical techniques of getting through those, um, and just how to really game mastery, and, and how to kind of come up with all this stuff. So, I think this is where I'm going to cut the episode. I could probably find more to talk about, um, but I think we covered a lot, and I hope that you guys have some stealable mechanics that you can use in your game, even if you just find one or two of these things really useful. Uh, I know that a lot of the things in here have helped me just to simplify my brain as a GM when I'm running a game because there's a lot going on, and simple is usually easier for me to run, which means better time at the table. So I appreciate you guys for listening. Please comment um, or message me on Twitter or Discord and tell me what your favorite mechanic from this was or if you have any special mechanics that stand out um, and what you're thinking. If there's something that you think you could steal here, let me know what it is. Uh, I'd just like to talk about it with you further. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.